Here we are, Leamington Spa, UK, uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, Huddiskaval, Sweden, Lisbon, Portugal, Hope Valley, Australia, Greenacres, Australia. Oh, cool, we've got some, some people for Australia's one there. Swidnika, Poland, Bo Harnoy, Canada, Oslo, Norway, um, Tucker, Georgia, America, Van Buren, Arizona, America. Vecta in Germany. Black Diamond in Canada. Oh, wow. What a place. The kiss on this. You know. Black Diamond. Hello and welcome once again to Radio Moorpark, the podcast where we go through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one book at a time, analysing, reading, rating, reviewing, and general rambling. This week we're talking about The Last Continent, this week I'm Colm, and this week he's... Steve, usually. Usually. Uh, usually Steve, so my Australian name. For this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right, yeah, so The Last Continent, so I suppose before we... The 22nd Discworld book, I, before we jump into this, we should do our best to recount the plot for any absent-minded listeners or people who might have read it before absolutely so at the end of interesting times Rincewind was left in 4x uh, the, the titular last continent which is a kind of australia xp and this started a book finds him essentially wandering the uh what's it called the, the bush the exian uh, wilderness or yeah. wildbacks or... Uh, the outbacks, the outbacks. The outback, that's yes. it um mm-hmm. and desperately struggling to survive and then the creator of Borex tasks a kangaroo trickster god with helping Rincewind bring the rain to the terminally dry country of Forex. The wet. Yeah, mm. so suddenly he starts like finding sandwiches under rocks and having sort of supernatural good luck. And the kangaroo keeps showing up and uh, telling him to um, that he's got this destiny. And of course, Rincewind being Rincewind, he's kicking out against that. <laughs> In the meantime, what's happening over at Unseen University? So the faculty uh, are having trouble with the librarian who has developed some kind of uh, thaumatic cold, uh, magical cold of sorts, which is uh, basically messing with his morphic field. So every time he sneezes, he essentially changes shape to match the habitat he's in. So, for example, when he sneezes in the library, he turns into a giant book uh, and... You know, the wizards decide one way that they could actually help him is if they knew his name, because knowing a uh, subject's name is an integral part of casting any kind of spell on, on him. And the only person they can think of who might know his name is Rincewind, because the librarian, being the university's archivist, has deleted any uh, notification or correspondence that contains his name. So the wizards, uh, in order to look for Rincewind, they... They go to employ the services of the Professor, Professor of Cruel, Cruel and Unusual Geography. Great title, that, yeah. And when they go in there, they discover that the professor is nowhere to be found, but in his bathroom there is a tear in reality that leads, leads to an island thousands or millions of years ago, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and on the island, uh, they find themselves surrounded by a lot of... Uh, Love plants that are basically trying to make themselves useful, uh, yeah. such as a cigarette, uh, cigarette bush. bush. There's like a chocolate fruit, chocolate and... coconuts, and there's a bush that makes spoons. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, eventually they come across. Uh, they also come across a dinosaur, which turns into a chicken moment moments later. And they also find a plant that's growing giant both boat shaped vessels, 
This is the point where they finally decide they want to know what's going on. I'm oh, sorry, we should say at this point they're stranded there because oh, yes. uh, Mrs. Whitlow, the, the housekeeper of the university, has climbed through the, the window to bring them some sandwiches, but she accidentally shut it on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they find that boat and they discover the god of the island, who's like the god of evolution, mm-hmm. essentially wanted them to leave and was trying to send us hints that way. And um, they're trying to talk to him about what he's doing. Uh, they eventually they try and talk to him about sex because he's designing all these things without uh, without sex drives to, to reproduce. And that doesn't go very well no. because they're wizards <laughs> yeah. and not overly familiar with sexual intercourse. Yeah, so but, Mrs. Uh, Whitlow has to tell them instead. Um, <laughs> and then Ponder Stibbons decides he's going to stay with the God of Evolution. Before very quickly changing his mind and running after the faculty again. Yeah. Um, so they go sailing out trying to find another landmass and they drift towards what will eventually become 4X. It's in the process of being created mm-hmm. by uh, the creator of 4X who isn't the actual creator of the Discworld. That's an important distinction to make. Um, so while they're there, they meet the creator of 4X and the librarian steals his bull roar yeah. at one stage and inadvertently causes the drought which is uh, happening in the future, or the present, where Rincewind is currently stranded. Uh, and then the creator of 4X ends up sealing them, kind of sealing them in time almost, by, by drawing them, yeah. drawing their pictures on some rocks. So then we go back to the present, Rincewind's having all kind of hijinks around 4X, he gets accused of stealing a sheep, mm. he's on the run from the watch, he escapes from jail helps this uh, opera house make a, a special dessert for a diva. Um, he, what else does he do? He then ends up with this this troupe of uh, like cross-dressing kind of Dra- drag, drag artists. Queens, yes. yeah. um, well, I wanted him that is just a, uh, and of course, a don't, don't. cis woman. Um, and, but he's kind of completely clueless to this. And they have got the luggage, which they call Trunky. Mm. Um, don't forget, uh, he also has met a dwarf called Mad. Yeah, who goes around uh, in an armored car. <laughs> great, which is a great moment. Yeah. Um, anyway, eventually he finds the university, the Exian University, which is... Bugger Up University. Bugger Up University, yep. Yeah. And uh, here he meets the Exian faculty, who uh, help him uh, by getting him somewhat drunk which for some reason helps him discover what he needs to do to um, free yeah, the wizards at, at, from at their... At this point, the, rain, like the water, there's been no rain in 4X ever, and the water, they've always got it out of the ground, but it's it's dried up, so mm-hmm. the wizards are under pressure to come up with a solution, and Rincewind, as you said, somehow to drinking beer, goes under the ground, under a cavern beneath a haunted brewery that Nilef, one of the drag <laughs> performers, family owned, um, and he ends up kind of drawing the wizards into existence yeah having seen their ghosts earlier Mm. so this sort of releases them from the state of stasis the creator had put them in Mm. and the thinking is is that now they're back in reality having been kind of stranded in time this will fix 4x yeah but it doesn't uh immediately do so so while the unseen university and bugger up university faculties are busy sniping at one another and trying to find a solution rincewind and the librarian end up accidentally bringing the reins back by using the bull roarer Mm. Yeah, which eventually snaps off and goes back into the hands of the creator of 4X, mm-hmm. um, which is a nice way to kind of sum it up. But the side effect of this is the faculty in Rincewind have a little bit of a holiday, technically the longest holiday of all time, <laughs> yeah. as uh, the faculty say. And um, then they decide to head back to Ankh-Morpork. And in what feels like a very nice conclusion to the Rincewind saga, uh, 
Ridgewind, even though he's invited to stay in Forex and there's all these wonderful perks like yeah, um, you know, everyone seems to respect him there mm-hmm. a little bit and they seem to love him, but he just wants to go home and eventually he just makes the decision to get back on the boat and head back to Agmore Fork. Yeah, there's there's a nice part where uh, Neilette says he says to Neilette, I'll better stick to what I'm good at and she says, But they said you're no good at doing magic and he's like, Yeah, but I'm very good at being no good at doing <laughs> yeah, magic. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that uh, is the plot yeah, essentially Shanae, that's, that's all she wrote um, so what did you think of this book Steve? Um, if I'm being perfectly honest Colm um, I'd rather you not be perfectly honest lie lie it's it was thing. very satisfactory <laughs> <laughs> it's, this, this book I think falters quite a bit in comparison to some previous books now I know we have talked before about how the Rincewind saga is probably the weakest of the um, Discworld sagas or like between the guards and the witches yeah, and so yeah. on this one, I think, is possibly my least favorite. I'm not saying it's... Obviously, I'm not saying it's bad. There's a lot of fun to be had there. But uh, Rincewind himself doesn't really have an arc in this that we haven't seen before. It's just very much him running away from people. And there's no moment of realization like, this is something I have to do or whatever. He just constantly, mistakenly, mistakenly you know, invents things, gets yeah. out of trouble, and eventually mistakenly brings the rain back. And there's no resolution. There's not really anything. It's just a one-note character the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. We've talked before about how the, the kind of, like, crux about Rincewind is that he could have a... Like, he seems to have a kind of arc over uh, Color of Magic Life Fantastic, or yeah. by the end of Life Fantastic, he seems to kind of have a certain amount of self-confidence, but then that obviously goes away. And it's like for him to serve the role he does as kind of the tourist of the this world. Like if you look at Eric after that and at mm. Sorcery too, he kind of runs all over the place uh, and interesting times and now here. And that's only possible if he's this cowardly character. Exactly. But it's sort of unsatisfying to read about him again and again doing the same. Mm. And particularly he's this weird, uh, annoying mix of like willful blindness uh, to the type of story he's in and complete genre savviness like there's a part mm. where he uh you know when he's in jail after the the watch thinks he's stolen the sheep and he has this conversation with the jailer where he's flagging up all the usual sort of conventions of mm. how he'd escape from prison like oh are you going to fall asleep with the keys hanging out or will what somebody just got his washerwoman come in and your man basically uh you know uh puts the kibosh on all of them and he he sort of feels like okay i just wanted to get that out of the way because i knew mm. all that stuff so he's he kind of knows like he's and, and the thing is, in his like, uh, he refers back in his own head to lots of other times he's been in similar situations. So he's just quite experienced. Yeah, you know, well, maybe adventurer is the wrong word, but he's experienced at being in adventures. Yeah, yeah. But despite that, he like you know he hasn't changed the entire time. He's still doing the same stuff that he was doing in the Color of Magic and the Light Fantastic. Yeah, and it hasn't really changed him. In yeah, any way. when he's just running away the whole time. Like I, I, I remember you saying you didn't like it so much, but I, I do like that bit in the Last Hero when he, he volunteers because he knows he's just gonna get stuck doing it anyway. I think it's and, and I feel that's him like finally wising up. And I kind of I wish I'd have seen that here. Like when the kangaroo mm. shows up, obviously his you know the type of character he is. He's not going to want to play a part in any big destiny. Like, we have that lovely bit at the end of Interesting Times when he thinks he's going to be set up for uh, something, you know, oh, you are the great bloke or something yeah. like that. <laughs> away. But at this point, when he's just, like, he's wandering the wilderness, almost, like, starving to death, this kangaroo shows up, you know, who can talk and says this stuff. At this point, like, how is he not, after all the books he's been in, just like, 
well I know what's going to happen now okay okay let's just get this out of the way yeah. what do I have to do and it's not even like the kangaroo sets him up like saying you're going to face certain death or there's this big monster you have to overcome he's just like you need to do you just like you know here's a purpose you know yeah. and it's kind of like because he's in such a horrible predicament at that point anyway literally eating literal grubs and larvae to mm-hmm. stay alive it's I get that it's part of his character to avoid any kind of excitement and that is almost the antithesis of that but it's still such a desperate existence that you kind of have to think it just doesn't really make sense for him to still be running away. You know, it, we needed a change at this point. I mean, I often found myself mixing before before we started uh, reading these books again. I always found myself oddly mixing up interesting times in the last continent and bits of it. Like mm-hmm. the only differentiating factor there was the last continent is the Australia one. Yeah. You know, other than that, like they're two. I felt like they were just two very similar books. It's just Rincewind running through it. You know. Yeah, and and he seems to have in many ways almost gone backwards from particularly the, the person he was in Colour Magic Life Fantastic. Like, you remember, mm. I think it was Life Fantastic when they're in the, the witch's cottage made of uh, sweets, like the Hansel and Gretel saw place, and he's very suspicious of, you know, like, oh, this is almost too good to be true. Is, is mm. some witch going to come back? Um, whereas here, when he starts finding food under rocks, he just accepts it yeah, and doesn't good. question anything. And like when the kangaroo shows up and is saying, you know, he has to spell it out for him and say, like, why do you think you found water in the middle of this place where there's no water? Why do you think you keep finding food? How does he not put two and two together already? Yeah, it's... He's, in previous books, he was the kind of character who would, like even... Um, like occasionally his sort of his cynicism annoyed me in interesting times, but it still felt like a, a sort of savviness as well, mm. you know, that he could read the situation with a bit with the perspective of an outsider a little better than some of the people in the Agadian Empire code and here like he's just like even the joke about him uh, not realizing Darlene and who's the other one uh it's the uh um biological woman but yeah whoever the, the other uh drag artist is not realizing they're like men in mm. drag just uh, it's kind of funny but it's also feel like how like how thick is he? And even, yeah. uh, Nilek keeps flagging it up, saying, "Oh, you're the blind man, or <laughs> hey, you you might know too much about this." And it just I feel like that joke partially works though because uh, of the bit beforehand where Richmond says that he had no real experience with women at that's all. That's true. Yeah. You know, I uh, was saying, uh, you know, the odd time when he was out on his adventures inverted commas. Um, he was basically just running from people regardless, so uh, it doesn't really matter if they were yeah. men or women. And in the university, he's got this. Uh, what was it? I think they said something like uh, women were like uh, par- like furniture or like some or a potted plant, you know, like they were nice to look at, certainly, but, you know, not anything of real importance, which is almost kind of problematic <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that this is it's cr- clearly underlining what a problematic yeah. view that is and how like ignorant it makes him in everyday life. But I feel like that sort of works there. That's yeah, yeah, actually um, true. But uh, what you're saying there about yeah, how he just doesn't seem to connect all these things. I feel like there's two disconnected threads here that could have worked. Yeah, uh, you know when we first come across him and he's literally jumping around, whacking the ground with a stick. Mm-hmm. So there's a brief moment where you kind of think, wow, Rincewind's gone like utterly, utterly mad. But that's quickly dispelled when you see like the kind of calm. calm this is going to seem like an odd sentence, but the calm conversation he has with the kangaroo. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I'm, um, I mean, there's a point at the start where uh, he mentions, like, uh, something like, some people might call you mad, like that elephant that just ran past a second ago, mm-hmm. you know? So there's kind of a implication that he's gone a little bit mad. And I felt like if they kept that running throughout it, then a lot of this would make a bit of sense that, you mm-hmm. know, he's kind of lost it a little bit, but he just seems to regain sanity completely once he gets 
a few pages into this book, so... Yeah, yeah, once he gets back to civilization, mm. uh, did you bring a beer along? Yeah. Um, but but there, there are, for all that, there's bits I, I like, but what they do with them, like, just those kind of... There, there's a sense of this being almost like a throwback to a particularly Color, Magical Life, Fantastic, where you have all these characters who show up and have their little vignette with Rincewind and then disappear. Mm. Yeah. And then they kind of they come back at the end for that farewell. And that sort of annoyed me because it just felt like structurally a bit lazy. It, Particularly yeah. mad. Mad. Like, is, where, where, where does he go? He, he <laughs> literally disappears, doesn't he? I think they're talking uh, after they, they go to, um, oh, the Crocodile's Bar. What was it called? Well, the, the Crocodile's is called Crocodile. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bar. And, um, yeah, afterwards, uh, Mad brings him out after he's gotten sick. And just before the sheep shearing thing, he disappears. And we don't see him again. Do we even see him again at the end? I don't no, think we do. No, I don't think he shows back up. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit like, it just feels like here's an excuse to have, uh, you know, a Mad Max reference. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, is great when you first read it. But then it's very lax. It just, it just kind of, I don't even feel like he's a necessary character whatsoever. There's no reason to say Rinsman couldn't have gotten to... That's the thing. I mean, none of this is a really necessary part of the plot, you know? Like, it really, all you need to do is get Rincewind to the university where the wizards are. And about three quarters of the book is just him wandering in yeah, that general direction. It, it really feels like killing time. Mm. The, the one thing that does do, and I suppose I'll get back to this later, is, and Mad does, is I think Pratchett really uh, does a great job of selling the, the bleakness and the vastness of the outback. Yeah. And so it sort of makes sense that you like someone has to show up and give Rincewind a lift to get to civilization, mm -hmm. that he's not just going to oh, yeah. walk back there. Um, but, oh yeah, so structurally, I think it is a bit lazy. Like, you have all these characters who's shown up in this period. But I did like, on a kind of meta level, that it seems like a throwback to the earlier ones. And that, yeah. I mean, this ultimately does end Rincewind's run as a main character. Uh, which is again a, a nice meta thing where his whole uh, purpose as a character is to live a nice boring life yeah yeah and he gets that when he goes back to the university and gets this kind of cushy do nothing job there mm. but also he gets that on a meta textual level because he's no longer a protagonist in the book so he no longer has to, yeah. <laughs> to do uh you know like any any really kind of strenuous um dangerous adventuring yeah and it actually feels very profound that the book itself is called the last continent as if to say right we've had rincewind explore all the continents there's yeah. just one left this is the last continent and then we're done that's no no more rincewind now so um yeah it's 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 an odd one um it, it, it's, it does kind of feel yeah you're right it does feel a little bit like a trollback of um the original the first two books um, and you know when you first read those books when you've you've never read anything mm -hmm. like it before it's like wow this is phenomenal so it is some sort of ways it is just sort of um nostalgic a little bit um but yeah it's after everything we've seen so far and especially after the amazing witches and watch books that we've come across mm -hmm. recently they've just been like phenomenal and it just feels like a step back i have to say um there doesn't seem to be a very strong theme in it like i think mean, the best yeah. i could come up with was evolution and um you know how uh how certain incidents can affect your evolution and your general way of living in life i mean there's some really nice um some little subtle sort of uh implications like that one thing i really liked was uh ponders uh, ponder stibbins arc yeah how uh he's this is this is one of the times where he's really fuming over like really really irritated and uh frustrated with how he has to deal with the faculty before he's just been kind of weary about it but here he's genuinely mm -hmm. uh, he wants to he wants to do something with his life and they seem to be blocking him at every opportunity and uh, then there's that wonderful moment where um uh time starts uh messing with all the wizards oh, and they become yeah. teenagers but ponder for some reason becomes an old man 
and he sort of gets a sense of what it's like being an old man and in a way it's a little bit like evolution there as well how he how how he can strive in that environment is he basically gets a glimpse of what it's like to be an elderly wizard talking about old old bonkers yeah. uh whatever uh i'm trying to I can't think of any of the old well, actually oh as he says i'm remembering last week like it was 70 years ago <laughs> yeah that's it yeah but um yeah you know like little thing like evolution is an interesting thing and it's a very very tenuous connection but um the link between uh australia and evolution seems to be to me that um for a long time they're kind of fetishizing australian culture in many ways obviously mm -hmm. by all the references they're doing to priscilla queen of the desert mad max um quadruple x beer and uh all those sort of things skippy the kangaroo yeah but then as as the book progresses uh you realize that there's implications that um the australian people or the exian people they're actually much more strong-willed and more intelligent that we gave them credit for i think that really hits home when uh rinsman is shown the tower oh, the university great, tower yeah. where you know you know rinsman has this uh, very smug kind of well it's not very big is it mm -hmm. i mean it's like what 20 feet tall and then they climb up and they realize that it's actually half a mile tall, but only on the inside yeah. <laughs> or on the outside. Sorry, Tom, taller it was a taller on the top than it is the bottom. And they geographical tardis. Rincewind ha says something like, "Oh, that's very clever." And uh, our Chancellor Rincewind, uh, Bill Rincewind, if I remember right, uh, he says, "Well, we're a very clever people," and it just feels like a nice little kind of, you know, you've been fetishizing us, talking about how we say "good day, mate," and no worries, but. The actual fact, yeah, there's a bit more to us than you actually think. Yeah. So it's it's a nice little moment, and I'm really glad it's there because otherwise this would be very much just like fetishization of Australian culture with no depth whatsoever. And I'm not saying the depth is huge or very complex, but at least it's self-aware what it's doing mm -hmm. is the main thing. And I yeah, and there's kind of a, there is more. I I didn't catch these, but on the looking at the annotated Pratchett file online, somebody like. You see the obvious Australia references like Mad Max and Priscilla's Wind Desert, and then there's mm. really obscure ones like um, the, uh, the 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 uh, weird mule thing he gets. Yeah, it's I was from, wondering like, a about bush that. Poem from the start of the like from the mid 19th century. Oh, I didn't was know it, like, that. Banjo Banjo Johnson or something was this bloke <laughs> who wrote a load of Australian. So the bush poem stuff is from um, like the the man from Snowy River is why he's got that like pony thing going mm. snowy, and again I suppose it just shows the the depths of Pratchett's reference pool that you get these quite obvious pop culture ones that would jump out to you and other yeah. ones that you know you need an encyclopedia to. There were some recognize. that I had to look up like um I, I there was one or two that I knew were references but I just didn't get them like I didn't realize the Peach Nelly was the Peach Melba yeah that was a, which I've never had before but apparently yeah, originates in uh, Australia and uh, Tin Head Ned apparently a reference Ned to Kelly, Ned yeah. Kelly the Bushwhacker um yeah lots of lots of little references there but it kind of brings me back to um soul music again. Where I feel like there's not, it, for a lot of it, it feels like there's not a huge amount here that he's trying to say, but he's just having a blast, like, referencing yeah, a lot of these yeah. things. And he is good when it comes to referencing things, but I prefer it when there's, you know, when there's something meatier at the center of it, you know, that you can kind of get your claws into as opposed to just, mm -hmm. you know, an onslaught of, like, little in-jokes. Yeah, yeah, I think we, we said when we're contrasting Masquerade and soul music, because one of the reasons Masquerade works better is because like opera is a bit more obscure in in a lot of countries in terms of not being as mainstream as rock music you can't really rely on just 
chugging a lot of opera puns like there are a few but mm. the book's about more than that and I feel like this kind of suffers the same thing where because Australia like I, I don't know what to, what the proper term is here but the um, I suppose the the international cultural relevance and awareness of Australia is pretty mm. high you know I feel yeah. in, in a sense of if you were to stop like a selection of strangers from all over the world and ask them at a bunch of countries and say like okay we're going to name a country and you tell us you know what what you know or what you think of it australia would be one where people could probably list off a lot of stereotypes yeah. or tropes associations you know compared to other ones so he doesn't have to work as hard and he can just throw those things in the kind of compare like if he was to do something uh similar to the like a masquerade to uh soul music i think the equivalent to that for this one would be one that was set in New Zealand or something <laughs> yeah. like you know if you were to ask somebody what do you know of New Zealand and don't say Lord of the Rings you'd be uh, <laughs> Flight of the Concords <laughs> uh, if you're ever in Flight of the Concords your man your manager Murray works for the New Zealand Tourist Board mm. and they've got like the, the slogan on the poster is New Zealand it's where Lord of the Rings was filmed <laughs> <laughs> or like New Zealand we've got Lord of the Rings <laughs> the thing. and l like you said it's just because you know, like, uh, New Zealand has, like, a very rich culture. It's just that it's not really well known in the international yeah. markets. You know, it's not as an easy a sell as Australia where everything is so very distinctive, you know. It's it's very much, you always get a very strong sense of Australianness. you know. Yeah. I, I was at a, a, an academic conference in the summer and um, there was a, a fellow from Croatia um, given... A paper on like Croatian sport and nation branding mm. and basically how he, he this thing was that like Croatia are really bad at nation branding the government there and that like if you stop most people they wouldn't be able to tell you much about Croatia yeah <laughs> but they really punch above their weight in sports um, you know their football team is generally really good like famously see with third place in France 98 but have you know generally been pretty good since then in like a lot of Olympic sports, they do uh, relatively well. They've got the ultra distinct football jersey and color scheme of other names of the kind of tablecloth red and white check pattern. Um, and how his kind of thing was that they should tie the like the, the tourism board and the nation branding should get behind this, you know, all of these associations to come out of sport and kind of push them more to get the country more well known. But I, t I found it just interesting to hear because I feel like. Ireland would be a country again that would have score quite high on sort of international cultural awareness and as Irish people we'd probably complain that a lot of the stuff people would think of like mm -hmm. isn't accurate but at least they think of it you know yeah, no. and so I, I found it interesting there's someone from a, a country where that isn't the case and they're you know trying to find out why and, and what you could do about it but yeah in any case Australia certainly is one that it's quite um yeah it's quite well known and I just feel like he's just having fun with a lot of these mm. uh, Australian tropes and actually that's one of the things where I um, I feel occasionally this book trips over itself where like oh okay obviously Forex is this really obvious Australia analogue yeah. um, and like no one reading this book is going to be unaware of that so it can kind of play off the you know these parallels but it also has to make sense within the world of the the, the book itself yeah and it doesn't really it doesn't always yeah mm. the, there's the part we were talking about before we, we uh, start recording where when Rid Cully meet the faculty of UU meet the faculty of BU and they're being quite condescending and it's very much a parallel of like you know kind of uh, England meeting its uh, old like ex-colonies ex and seeing them as their mm. wayward children and that that general attitude still works like you know I, I kind of buy from what we know the UU faculty that of course they think they're the best ones and yeah absolutely. But, but they're like Rid Cully makes some comment about them meet the colonies and I'm like the, 
like no one knew anything about this place beforehand. They they talk a lot about like oh four X. No one knows much about yeah. it. Like they talk about it being girted by the sea, which is apparently a line from the Australian national anthem. I didn't notice, but no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a, that's more of a deep cut mm. of a reference, but a lot of the early part of the book is they know we're in in four X. They don't know anything about four X, but then they're referring to it like it is a colony. And there's the bit when. Then when Rincewen talks to the uh, fair go Dibbler, hmm. and he starts talking about like making kind of racist comments against the natives, and it's meant to parallel, I suppose, like you know maybe like uh, Australian settler intolerance towards Aboriginals. Hmm. And it's like, but who like who are the, the settlers and who are the Aboriginals here? Like, there's parts where Rincewen meets people, yeah, it... who are presumably meant to be Aboriginal. Like they're described as being really dark and really black. But it's like, well, where, where did the other lads come from? Did they wash in like mad? You never mm. really, you never really talked about that. You know, obviously Australia itself has this history of, you know, being quote unquote discovered by Europeans and then and then settled and and so on. And it's never really established what four X's is. They they talk about it being a prison. But yeah, it's when they say the prison. I don't think it's really. I, I think there's a kind of throwaway line where um, Rincewind's trying to say, oh, you know, where can I get a boat? And he said, well, where would you go? You know, there's a storm all mm-hmm. over. Um, no, what was it? Not, not the storm. Is that if you go too far, you'll immediately be dragged off the rim. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he says, so this place is basically a prison. And I think that's where they tried oh, to establish yeah, yeah. it there. So it's like, it's, it's not a prison in the way Australia was like viewed as mm-hmm. a prison. Um, you know, in real life, but uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. So the, this is kind of like the prison thing, but the colony thing still doesn't really make sense. It's it's very um. Odd. There's a lot of things in this that just don't really make sense. Like uh, I mean, it kind of works as a gag, but the whole crocodile bartender thing is very odd. Yeah, I was waiting for that to get resolved, but when he sees the like, then he sees like the sheep shears that look like sheep. And yeah. he gets into a fight with a wombat. Is it like like uh, I think the, the drop rat... bears, isn't it? Is no, that no, oh, no. The, the lad like he he you know. He gets into a fight with in the bar and um, Mad or uh, the kangaroo makes some comment about him like, oh, wombats can't hold a drink and since this bar yeah. is full of animals, it's about this lad or some guy. And I, I, I remember when I was reading this, I'd only read Last Continent once before. And when I got to that bit, I was like, oh yeah, what's the, like, what's the resolution behind this? Because he brings it up too. He's like, oh, what are these people look like uh, animals. And... Yeah, that never. I kind of felt that maybe it was. I remember when I read it first as well. I thought clearly he's drunk or he's got sunstroke or something, and he's imagining all these things. But then when he sobers up the next day, he goes back in and has another chat with the crocodile bartender. But here he's supposed to be like stone cold sober um, or stone cold sober as as you can be in 4X. But um, yeah, it's just an odd thing that's just thrown in there. It's very strange it uh it doesn't it's, it's just one of those you know indications like or indicators in this book that it just feels a little sloppily put together you know i mean it's i'm, I'm glad that um terry pratchett was very confident enough in himself that like you know he was he did just kind of think i can coast by on the charm of my writing and like this onslaught of uh you know um references but it's it is um it does kind of feel a bit lax in comparison. Yeah. Even interesting times, which we had issues with, like I feel like it's a big step down from that, which is yeah, which had a lot going for it now. But uh, because interesting times, uh, I remember we said one of the strengths of that was the finale yeah. and how it really feels like it's been built to. And that's the thing about interesting times is, uh, like, there's a lot going on in it, and this really feels like it's all kind of tongue twiddling and running around. Yeah, to, to wait to buy enough time to get to the end of the book. Yeah, very- the thing about it is, is I think that like. 
the plot in some ways does hang together really neatly where it's it's just the, not the, much of a plot yeah, is the problem it's, the, it's, but the time loop of like Rincewind goes to 4X the faculty go to get him but they end up going there in the past and they mess up the creation of 4X mm. by uh, the librarian taking a bull roarer and I love that thing it goes back to a, an old joke that a, a platypus is a duck designed by committee yeah. of course in this case it was <laughs> yeah which is great <laughs> yeah. one but, moment but so then like he has to be the one to bring them out of their state of stasis and figure, you know, bring the rain back, and that all makes, uh, like that, that all makes perfect sense. And the business of the the rain kind of uh, going away, and actually, I really like. Uh, I just think it's born there all the Exian skepticism to rain, and when Rich yeah. having to explain how water works, and as he's saying it, and they're reacting skeptically, you do realise how little sense it seems to make when the Dean, the uh, the Aussie Dean, the Exian Dean, says something about, oh, this water that goes underground and makes caverns is the same water that's up in clouds in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you think, okay, yeah, if you, if you never heard that, that would be uh, a pretty tall order to buy. Mm. But so all of that, that like that time loop holds together nicely and actually much much more nicely than, um, than I, I, I remember the tune. Although even there, there is a bit of a, I find a, another bit of a contrivance with the, the, the wizards go to find Rincewind because the librarian's sick and he just gets cured in the end when that lightning strikes him, you know, which seems like a bit of a cop-out. Well, I think the implication is that they'd stayed on 4X, like literally for a little bit of a holiday at yeah. that point. Like, and I think it's the change of scenery or something is implied to change him back or to sort yeah, him out. I, I don't know. It's, it's about, no, it, it is, yeah. No, yeah it, given that, like, his illness is why they set out in the first place. Mm. You think they they come up a, a bit more it's, to um... It's the kind of story that I was thinking about this on the way here. That um, it's the kind of story that I think would have been better suited for a book about the size of Eric. You know, if you had a smaller yeah. book like that, and um, just something kind of almost like a little side story, as if just to wrap up Rincewind's thing. But I felt like this was expanded far too much. Like it, it didn't need. Like I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of great scenes, and you probably would have to cut a few of them out to make it work. But it just, I didn't. Don't think it needed to be as long as it did yeah yeah um there's um what i think what hurts it too is for me at least it felt very imbalanced in that like i love the faculty bits i mm. felt like there was uh, there was bits i liked to the rinseman things but again that that sort of feeling of it just being a run around waiting for for the end made me you know really be ch- chomping at the bit to get back to the faculty yeah. when i'd be reading Thing. because their part in the island has a sense of momentum like they're discovering how the island works and mm. then then mrs whitlow comes and then they're trapped there and then they end up finding the god of evolution so yeah there's there's a sense of forward momentum there and just they're so so funny mm. like the part when when ponder explains about like you know the kind of whole butterfly effect of stepping on the land oh, and Rick Cully just like dismisses it with you know like basically the kind of thing of like stable time move no like i couldn't do that because if I step on the ant, stop me from existing. There'll be no one to step on the ant. Yeah. Uh, and then Ponder brings up the analogy of killing your own grandfather, and yeah. like, starts suspecting him of killing his own. <laughs> That's great. He's just like, "Oh, my grandfather died before I was born." Aha! <laughs> 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 so good. It is very good. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. I do, and I do like the um. I like the God of Evolutions bit. Again, yeah. he feels like a very big character, very similar to uh the creator in Eric. You know, I like I, I kind of very much kind of linked them in the same way. They felt very similar in that they were kind of clueless, but they were also incredibly powerful. 
And I love how, I, I, I didn't get this before, but um, the first time I read it, but I love the fact that he is gearing up towards like the ultimate life form, which turns out just to be a cockroach. Yeah. So, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, actually, I think I, he is kind of like the, the guy out of Eric, although I feel like the creator in Eric is very much like, he's a, a kind of funny for that scene. Mm. Whereas I feel like he could have got more legs out of exploring the whole God of Evolution thing. As, oh, as yeah. Motorhead taught us. Evolution is a mystery full of change that no one sees. Mm. Love makes a fool of history. I can't remember how the rest of that song goes. Well, yeah, I get you. I but, take your point. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I did do so much here. Actually, the thing, I, I had to look this up again on Annotated Pressure Fall, but apparently there are over 400,000 species of beetle um, yeah. in, in the world, like in our world. Uh, and that, that doesn't even include some that they reckon probably just haven't been named and yeah. so on. And there was some naturalist at the either like, you know, turn of the twentieth century who was studying oh this was I suppose part of these early efforts to uh like integrate the concept of kind of evolution and natural science with still with uh religious belief. And someone asked him like so like what has studying, you know, all like species of the world taught you about like God and he goes well that he was inordinately fond of Beatles <laughs> <laughs> and and the idea too of like the cockroach famously as I think most people know it's like they can survive the nuclear holocaust yeah uh, so this being his ultimate life form yeah is, it's, it's, it's great although I I, I, sorry, I absolutely loathe cockroaches I, I I don't get uncomfortable around spiders ants only when they're in huge huge quantities when you get to finance they freak me out a bit but like Boilard's ground worms, beetles, cockroaches. Oh, I remember being when I lived in New York. We got we got them in our apartment, and they would just scare the shit out of me. And then um, really, yeah, it's made me so uncomfortable. I had a dead one in my bed when I came home. Once. Oh God, that's really <laughs> bad. But I did the whole thing too. But I remember hearing that if you stamp on them, they'll just like spread their eggs as they splatter. So oh. which again goes back to your man, mate. Design them as this ultimate life form that yeah. will survive. So the best way to kill them is just going after them with like a bottle of deodorant and a lighter and just burning them. Jeez. Which I didn't want to do in the apartment I was subletting, you know. Yeah, I, obviously. I my two roommates come in and I'm running around this makeshift flamethrower. <laughs> but um, yeah, so kind of ponder being so... Uh, not only sort of, I suppose, um, how would you put it? Not only uh, his, you know, sense of purpose and... Uh, um, wonder in the universe being hurt by the fact of humanity being this accident just to accommodate mm. cockroaches but just being so disgusted by this guy's fascination with cockroaches yeah. I completely uh, related to that I, I actually found that a little bit strange like I mean it's um, like like because uh, he, the thing is he, he still is a god of evolution and this might just be reflecting that I don't I don't mind cockroaches too obviously I'm not fond of them but uh, I'd be much I'd much more issues with spiders if it was the god of spiders I totally get that but um <laughs> You know, he, he after he discovers that the cockroach is the main thing, like, it just seems like Ponder flees, and I kind of think, like, but he's still a god of evolution. You can just sway him. Like, I mean, it's well, it, it's the, a bit of a gag, but I feel like it, it's one of those things that I feel like, ah, oh, it's, it's, it works. It's an incidental, you know, occurrence that it just kind of works for it, but uh, it just, I don't know, it's, it, it struck me as a little bit strange. I, I thought it worked nicely, too, because you do get those lead-up bits where, like, he starts accidentally smiting things when he mm. gets angry. Like, oh, yeah, like, that's good, yeah. And there's this sense of being quite unstable um and uh, like Rick Cully and the other faculty are getting increasingly uncomfortable with this and want to get away and Ponder seems to register it but put up with it just for the like I suppose the uh honor and intellectual adventure of being part of this act of creation I kind of thought so it would, I, I see that like the cockroach thing is more like straw that broke the camel's back it's like oh I'm putting up with this guy 
who might end up killing me in a fit of pique because he's this, you know, rat happy god. Uh, and on top of all that, he's just like he's just fascinated by cockroaches. So <laughs> I would have thought that um, now this maybe this is just me and I love misery, but uh, <laughs> I would have thought it would have been like kind of a cool. Uh, ending of sorts if a uh, ponder decided yes i'm going to be uh i'm going to be like this apprentice to this the god of evolution and then once he discovered uh that he wanted the cockroach was his ultimate um you know organism he's like oh god i gotta get out of here but he wasn't able to leave after that yeah i thought that would have been a really cool like he's been trying for so long to get out of under the thumb of the faculty so they can actually contribute something and then when it finally happens he's kind of like in his worst case scenario, he's on like the whims of basically a madman. <laughs> yeah, and again, that, that could, I mean, that's like you could have made that, the full book out of that. Like, I mm. think if, like the Rinsman thing being a very much a sort of a like a, a, a C plot that gets about 30%, and the rest of it being about the faculty trying to then they get Ponder back, and then they end up in 4X, and then you know, you get the mm. resolution of the the uh, the uh, 4X lack of rain plot. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that could have been really good actually. But uh, I can't remember now if uh, Ponders plays a big role in any of the other ones. He's 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 kind of fun sometimes as a character, but he's not someone that I I I feel like he could carry a book if he wants to because at the moment he's even though he has personality, he's kind of a blank slate. Like he could project almost anything on him because I mean, bear in mind that he was present back in moving pictures when yeah, we first came so across him. Yeah, so he becomes a wizard. Yeah, and yeah, he, because he gets Victor's uh, cheat exam. Yeah, which is a lovely, kind of, lovely yeah. detail there that I'm like really surprised when I read that. I was like, wow, it's as far back as this. The Ponder Stibbons is showing up, but um, it's strange though because uh, I feel like you can see you can see like how he evolves. He gets a bit more. Uh, senior and he gets more and more like comfortable around the wizards to the point in this book where he's literally like you know haranguing them saying like why do you all have to like be shouting why can't you just like act whatever whereas in uh moving pictures at the end when he finally becomes a wizard he's in absolute awe of the wizards uh when he's trying to sneak out of the university and the wizards catch him he almost faints because he's like oh my god yeah, the... yeah yeah so you can see like a development happening so i felt like he could develop him further to make him a good lead character he, if you want he to. doesn't get to a lead character but as i recall he's quite prominent in unseen academicals and there is a sense of him that like he's gotten a bit more sad like like here as you said he's very much at the end of his tether with the, the faculty hmm. and it's like by by that he's kind of accepted how the whole thing works and, and there's this thing based on the idea that he's accumulated all these like semi-meaningless dull little titles and jobs that nobody wants because they don't want to do but it actually gives them a huge amount of power oh wow. within the, yeah within the within the university hierarchy because of that that's kind of kind of cool that kind of uh that's kind of the natural progression i would have expected that like you know ponder he's because he's a smart character and you can actually see how he would yeah like unless he was if he was constantly like put upon like by the wizards then he'd essentially be a proto rincewind mm -hmm. but uh it's cool that he actually finds a way to progress up the ladder and kind of be a force to be reckoned with and not like you know as an antagonist but just like you know a foil to the wizards ridiculousness yeah <laughs> yeah I, I loved too when he uh when he goes and uh, kind of runs away from the god of evolution and jumps on a boat and he sees Reed Cully and he's like oh I just didn't want to go sir and he sees something that like a twinkle in Reed Cully's eye and thinks yeah. not for the first time he wondered if the old man was smarter than he looked that's something that uh, we've talked about before in terms of the watch books when we're talking about Carrot but it's something sometimes I really enjoy I, less so with Carrot much more so with Reed Cully. I like the idea 
that uh, Pratchett hints that a character is much more intelligent, mm-hmm. there's much more going on behind the scenes than you'd actually think. With Carrot, it's a bit frustrating because he's such a central character, but with Ridicule, because he's almost like a joke character for much of it, it's just a really nice idea to think that, like, he knows, you know, he knows what he's about. He's, yeah, you know, it's yeah. especially when, uh, during Lords and Ladies, when he meets uh, Granny Weatherwax and you feel like, you know, there's, they're kind of... Um, not quite a match for each other, but at least, you know, he can stand on his toes up to uh, Randy mm-hmm. Weatherwax, but um, obviously nobody can. <laughs> so not even the Queen of the Elves. Yeah, I, I really like him. I think that, that balance of him being this kind of ridiculous uh, hunting, fishing, shooting, blustery type with this, like, hidden, powerful intellect is just managed really nicely. Mm-hmm. Actually, one thing, when uh, the business of the ant changing history that they keep dwelling on and oh, yeah. going on to this whole turn of events, and actually I saw this somewhere online, I'm pretty sure I can't remember where, this whole turn of events is brought out by Ant when in interesting times when the lady does something to uh, change one of the ants in Hex, change the direction it's going in, which changes its calculations, and that sends Rincewind to 4X rather than back to Ankh Morhork. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, that was by diverting the path of an ant within the, the ant hill and hex. That's really cool. And yeah, now they have this. Uh, I have no idea whether that's intentional. I certainly didn't pick up on that until I read about it online, but mm. I thought it was pretty cool all the same. That is very cool. I like, I actually, in this one, I quite like the way the time travel is handled because it's kind of very, almost very forcefully kind of, um, just don't think about it. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the back to the future, like, you know, angle. Just like, don't think about it too much and it'll be fine. Um, Ridicully kind of comes out and says, "Well, like I've already stepped on this ant, or, or if if I stood on an ant that prevented me from being born, then I wouldn't be there to step on the ant. Yeah. So therefore, I was predestined to step on this ant. So basically, the idea there is everything you do here is fine. Yeah, it's all already happened. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, including this grandfather paradox that they've actually undergone. So they're like, this is just part of history. Apparently, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an odd one. And there's a lovely line when they um." when they end up seeing the creator of 4X drawing, mm. and the bursar sees him drawing and thinks about his drawing, but says, it was simple because something complex had been rolled up uh, really small. And I think that kind of sums up a lot of Pratchett's writing, really. Yeah. Like we talked about in some of the other episodes how I suppose the main theme or moral or takeaway for the book is something that ends up when we try and uh, articulate it, it seems really trite and simple, like be yourself, or like, you know, yeah, yeah. representation has, you know, gotten too far ahead of reality. But when it's, you know, put in this deformative, uh, some of the, his best books, it's so beautifully realized because it's so simple. Yeah. And, uh, and it's uh, simple and complex at once. And yeah, it's that line really jumped out to me as, you know, summing up all of his writing. Absolutely. I mean, you get a lot of fantasy books where they try to incorporate so much, and uh, you'll always find more flaws the more ambitious it is. And in some ways, uh, Terry Pratchett always, like, he, not to say that it's not ambitious, but he always keeps it simple, mm-hmm. which is good. It really, really benefits his writing. I mean, even this is. Um, this is definitely not one of my favorite of his books, but you know it's still um, it's still a really enjoyable read, and at least uh, you know it, it kind of conveys the themes of like you know time travel, evolution, and Australia Australian fetishization, fetishization um, quite well, even if it doesn't have a huge amount to say about it. So mm-hmm. I'll give it that. I mean, I still bring it back to. Um, uh, when Arch Chancellor Rincewind just says, you know, oh well, we're a very clever people. After he's brought uh, Rincewind up in the tower, and I just love that bit in particular because if it didn't have that, it would just be 
Yeah, they'd be this kind of. Uh, it, it, I, I actually like don't think silly I... nation for the kind of Frank Morpar characters just to like run through, and now yeah. it, it implies this whole like they've got their whole culture and mm. intellect and institutions of their own that that are you know worth something in their own right. I think I'd actively dislike the book if that what line wasn't. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's uh, it really, it really, it's a nice little wrap up towards the end. I think. I love the detail of uh, when when Ruth Cully meets Arch Chancellor Rincewind about him pronouncing the Arch Chancellor with, yeah, with an A, a. <laughs> with a lowercase A. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> you are right though about the um, the you, you mentioned before we started recording here how it's it actually has a very beautiful sounding finale when the wet finally yeah, comes. Yeah. And it is there's one point where um, what was it? Uh, Arch Chancellor Rincewind looks up and says, "Those are clouds, is it?" And uh, yeah, the other ridiculously says, "Yeah, that's them." Says, "Wow, there certainly are a lot of them." And then it just has this wonderful description of like this massive bank of thunderclouds over like mm-hmm. the university tower and like the rain eventually breaking, and you know then the clouds split, and it's really beautiful imagery. And I remember thinking, "Wow, it'd be great if we could see that in a an animated thing or like in a yeah, film." Yeah, it'd be yeah, really, really nice. Spectacular. Uh, but um, having said that, the rest of the book would be a bit. Uh, a bit dull considering how much of it would just be uh, him in the desert although I'd be interested to see how he does the bit with the the donkey that goes you know defies all gravity <laughs> and uh, time and space <laughs> that is a great moment though very uh, Looney Tunes kind of yeah uh, actually that's what we uh, think of that um, but the uh, yeah all, all that writing about like the rain coming at the end and just like really beautiful and I, oh, I think one strength of the book is how vividly he like writes about the uh, physical landscape of forex like mm. I said that sense of the outback being so vast and dry and dangerous um, all of the the kind of like Mad Max style towns where they're all made out of corrugated iron and the, the windmills going and things like that uh, mm. the, the university being made of like corrugated iron and wood um, the yeah like I, I really I, 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 I just picture it really perfectly in my head I could feel the heat as, as they're going through yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said for that and then the whole business of like the the smell of the rain um, so there's, there's a oh line. yeah there's a line towards the end where they come up with a word that means the smell you get after rain yeah which is great because uh, I think in the lead up to that Rincewind is trying to like say lots of people have always tried to come up with a name for this but the best they've ever come up with is that smell you get after it rains mm-hmm. and then it's really cool that the Australian people or the Exian people actually come up with one an actual uh, name for it, but they don't say what it is, which is which is nice. I like that a lot. Um, do you know what my favorite gag in the entire book is, though? Yeah. Do you remember near the very very start when uh, Death is looking at Rincewind's uh, uh, lifetimer, and he's like, "Oh, he's in four uh, X," and he says, "I would like uh, to see." All, a book on all the uh, dangerous creatures in 4X and then apparently like a hundred books just come in <laughs> yeah, yeah. and just like collapse them to the floor and says, Albert, I wonder if you could give me a hand up, please. Because, okay, maybe it'd be better if we could have <laughs> a list of all the creatures that aren't dangerous in 4X and they wait a minute. There's nothing. No, wait, here it comes and you get a little sheet, sheet of paper <laughs> that just says some of the sheep. Yeah, <laughs> not <laughs> even all. Just just some. some of the sheep. <laughs> it's a great, great gag. I love that bit of it. It's a... Uh, very good and it actually sums up exactly why i never want to go to australia that and the incredibly dangerous spiders yeah, the line about the, the not being many snakes because they've been killed by most of the spiders yeah, oh, i can't hack the things i've heard about 4x and spiders is like nope never ever again 
Um, and actually, they do have a lot of poisonous snakes in uh, Australia. I think it's like 14 of the top 15 most poisonous snakes are left oh, in good. Australia. Yeah, so. goody. So, uh, the thing I was looking for here was um, Rincewind spoke a fairly primitive language and it had no word for that smell you get after rain other than that smell you get after rain. Anyone trying to describe the smell would have to flounder among words like moisture, heat, vapour, and with a following wind, exhalation. <laughs> Nevertheless, there was a smell you get after rain. In this burning land, it was like a brief jewel in the air. And mm, yeah, That's like, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that business and the stuff with the kid at the end, and your man trying to the boomerang up to make it a, a rainbow. Like, yeah, that's just all, uh, I find, like, really beautiful writing. And again, just the way he, that the picture of kind of 4X he, he paints um, in general uh, in his physical landscape. And I like the ideas a lot, like the whole geography, uh, like, was a more geography, less history, and kind mm. of, like, time being scrunched up. I, I find fascinating. I was mm. reading at the same time as this about a younger creationism. And it's all, like, the kind of, like, uh, loops they have to tie their heads in intellectual loops they have to tie their heads around to like justify mm. it being a thing like oh you know the world's only 6,000 years old but we can find these dinosaur bones that are millions of years old because <laughs> God put them there as millions of years old even yeah. though they're older in the world um, and uh, yeah it's whatever it's kind of uh, utter bollocks but I still kind of find it fascinating just as, as an idea like yeah. trying to like the way you'd have to think or maybe not think in some ways of, of the world, but how he actually makes a strength of it here, like this, the whole... Um, yeah, he plays yeah. around with it a lot. Like I, I, really, I particularly like the line um, where the bursar is walking around 4X when he first gets there and uh, suddenly uh, a tree burst out of the ground in front of him and then a few more did and it didn't really shock him because, uh, well, first of all, because he was a little bit mad. But uh, he also writes that he'd never seen a tree grow before, so as far as he knew, maybe this is just how it happened. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the same, by the same token, when the, the dinosaur shows up on Evolution Island, <laughs> Evolution Park, and, um, you know, it's kind of very swiftly written away. It just, like, turns into a chicken, just like that. So, uh, you know, it's just, like, evolution working at top speed. It's kind of, It's a weird... It's such a weird idea, a very weird conceit altogether to have a god of evolution you know just like such a weird um oppo two opposing ideas melded into one for hilarious results <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah what do you think of this idea then of um I, I was trying i kept trying to tie in evolution and australia basically because those, those two key things that jump out at me and i was kind of looking at um you know at one point they're talking about um uh, the noble savage near the start mm -hmm. and uh, you know they have this idea in their head of like what uh, Australian culture is like and um, you know it is very much uh, kind of it, all the all the Yank wizards very much like I, as you said when uh, he pronounces the Irish Chancellor with a lowercase yeah, a yeah. it's kind of very much putting them below but it's interesting that because the reason they seem to do this is because their landscape um, this is what I'm gathering from it now. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Their landscape seems to be very, um, you know, it's a very harsh landscape and as such, they kind of just seem, well, it's a lesser place because it's not as good as Ireland. Mm -hmm. But the result of it is the people are kind of forced to be kind of made of tougher stuff. You know, they have a, a much more uh, cavalier attitude towards things with the whole no worries and constantly drinking beer because they kind of just needed to get through the day. Yeah. You know, yeah. and... Um, I, I love that bit too when they're, uh, the wizards are on the island and Rick Cully makes a dean, puts the dean in charge of boat building, 
And he's like, oh, you know, savages can do this, so we should be able to do it easily. He's yeah, like, oh, yeah. There's no book called Basics uh, Basics of Boat Building for Beginners. This is ridiculous. <laughs> We've searched the whole island. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do feel like there's a certain there's a certain something there. It's not very strong in the book, but the idea of, you know, uh, the Australian, um, indigenous Australian people and, you know, settlers in Australia, that they've kind of um, become the way they are because they've lived in such a harsh environment. Yeah. And it's taught them to, you know, it's, it's made, now according to the book, it's, they're made of like tougher stuff and they can just uh, deal with all these things. You know, they can deal with, um, the fact that they love Vegemite is another great thing, actually. Do you know, at the mm-hmm. very end, when they find out the uh, the weird beer mix that uh, Rincewind yeah, uh, yeah, after yeah. makes, and uh, he tries it, and it's absolutely loathsome, it's horrible, whatever. But all the uh, natives seem to say, we tried some of this stuff, it's bang on, it's great. Do you mind if we like go into a market for it? And it's like, nah, they must be made of really tough stuff to like this like horrendous thing that is necessarily full of vitamins and all that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. uh, tastes awful. You know, it's almost like a survival thing. Um, that's just observation though like it's just a tenuous link that I think is there yeah well there's a real pronounced sense of uh, it says sense of place and it's like how vividly he describes the the Exian landscape and that like that does shape the people in that way mm. um, there is a weird thing that I feel doesn't really get followed up on that again comes back to that idea of geography and history and the compressed history is that uh, like the kangaroo at one point tells Rincewind about like this land needs a hero, like it needs a myth, and it's like because its history has been kind of condensed, they don't have all of these, like you know, maybe myths and legends and things that uh, that other older countries would. So, part of Rincewind's role, as well as bringing the rain back, is to fill this in, and that's why he discovers uh, Vegemite and why he kind of ends up as this like folk hero mm-hmm. with all the writing all the songs about him and so on. Um, but I, I don't know, I feel like that's just touched on a bit too lightly for me. Like, they talk yeah. about the business of, like, oh, those are uh, millions of years old, but also only a couple of thousand years old. And I feel like if you have some conversation where it's like, where Rincewind is talking to an Exian who is convinced they've, say, their family has lived there for hundreds of years, but can't really tell you what the place was like for hundreds of years, yeah. to give this sense of, like, all of the history has been compressed and it, it's kind of, I suppose, like uh, brittle because of it mm. and, and because of the, the time anomaly caused by the wizard so that Rincewind has to, like, I don't know, uh, help their history and culture breed a bit more. Um, would is kind of fascinating, something that I feel is touched on but not really followed through on. And it, yeah. it's, again, it's a neat parallel for real life because a lot of, um, you know, countries that are... Uh, and again, I use the word discovered very much in air quotes, discovered by, by Europeans uh, later, do there is often this sense of like cultural anxiety or trying to find the kind of myths and, and history. Like when he says about the geography being inverse to history, mm. it reminded me of America and how like obviously America as a, as a, the country it is now, it's always, it's always been there, but like as, yeah. you know, the United States is only it's 300 something years old. Um, and I remember hearing someone say once that's like time is to Americans what space is to Europeans. So if you ever like hear Americans talk, they'd be like, Oh, that place is near to me, it's only a four hour driveway and we're like, What the fuck? You can drive across half of Ireland in four hours you know? yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I've had American tour groups and things and I'll take them to Trinity and I'll be like tell them when it was founded in uh was it like fourteen ninety two and they're just fifteen ninety two 
and your minds are blown by like that's older than their country you yeah, know? yeah. Like, you'd be showing the buildings and things but like that's x men 100 years old and you know um yeah, there's that sense. So you, you see a lot in uh, you, you read much you read a bit of HP Lovecraft, right? Yeah, yeah, have, yeah. Like so like HP Lovecraft on the one hand has this amazing ability to make you feel this kind of sense of wonder and dread about like the this like bottomless, immeasurable time like Cthulhu's been there what is it like quintillions of years yeah. like, so <laughs> own words for. And then at other times you'll have stories where like some American character in the twenties will discover some house that's been there since the sixteen hundreds. Old and spooky. Ah, like, uh, here, look, HP. You know, if, if you're expecting me to get scared at this fucking like house from uh, bloody Jacobean England when you're talking about something quintillions of years before, you can forget about it. But obviously, to him as an American, it was like, oh, when a country was barely civilized. Mm. This, yeah. Um, so yeah, that whole sense of that kind of like these recently discovered countries that have smaller history and, and it, there being a need to kind of fill that in, mm. which I think your man, Banjo, God, I can't remember his name, Banjo Peterson, Banjo Johnson, the guy who, who wrote those Bush poems that Pratchett references, from what I gather, that was almost like a self-conscious effort on him to kind of create this this sense of like national epic and national culture really? for, you know, for Australia by writing okay. these things. And, and you see it a lot in America too with this idea of like, you know, the great American novel and, Webster's Dictionary and trying to differentiate like American culture and literature from just like UK yeah. uh, culture and literature. Um, I'll be less familiar with like the efforts to do that in Australia, but I, I'd imagine mm. there's uh, similar stuff there. So I, I feel like that bit of it's kind of touched on and not really explored as much as it could be. Yeah, it's because it's, it's only because that we're really like uh, taking this book apart. That I think what we would really focus on this. Like, I mean, if we if we were if we were literally just reading it like on a beach, let's say, you know, just uh, perusing well, through. If we're reading it on a beach, it would just turn into the Omega effect. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's right. I yeah. love that joke. That's a great one, actually, yeah. <laughs> and it's true, I don't think I've ever read a really involved book. It's always some trashy thing mm. on a beach. I think I tried to read H.P. Lovecraft, actually, once on a beach, and it just didn't work. Yeah. You can't you can't read about darkness and grim innsmouth when it's like, you know, the sun is beating against your head and you're wearing sunglasses. Um what was I saying there? Sorry. Um, you were saying we're all getting this because uh, we're reading the book with, you know, yeah, the detail. Because, because we're literally taking it apart, like, we, we've picked up on this. But I remember the first time I read it, I, I wouldn't have made really made that connection at all. It's like literally, oh, yeah, uh, time and space are, like, inversely proportionate and all that. And I wouldn't have picked up on the fact that Rinsman is going around while he's actually filling in history. For me, it was just kind of, oh, there's a funny reference to Australian culture, ha, 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 and that's it. This is just, again, it's another tenuous link. Like, I feel like he's, I feel like Terry Pratchett has, like, a bunch of good but underdeveloped ideas here that aren't connected as well as they should be. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're right, yeah, we, like, if you're just reading this book in a vacuum... You wouldn't notice that as much, but it's mm. because the way we're reading it, where we're at the end, is we're going to be ranking it up against the other ones we've read. You're comparing it uh, with other books where he's come up with these incredibly complex ideas and managed to explore them in ways that are so mm. thought provoking and interesting and bizarre and funny uh, that it's a little disappointing that he doesn't do it with quite as much depth here. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, though, as well, even just from a basic narrative point of view, um, there is like a, like a lack of tension around the fact that like Rincewind gets sort of blessed with luck at the start yeah. drinking his food and water and you have the wizards 
who are so like both incredibly incompetent and argumentative, but also inc so incredibly powerful. Like when they see the dinosaur, and they're just like, "Yep, yeah, blast them with a round of fireballs." Yep, that's it. Um, that you've got like two sets of you know a main character and another set of main characters. That there's no real threat to them, you know, throughout the yeah throughout the, the book. The um, closest you get to that is, uh, and it is a scene that I very much like, is when Rinchman's in the cell and he thinks he's going to be hung the next yeah, day, yeah. and Death shows up, and I think it's the closest I think I've kind of felt. Because you know Rincewind's like, if you've read all about Rincewind up to this point, you're like, he's done so many things. He's gone up against like dragons and like, well, he's gone over the rim. He's done all of these things. And it would be just his typical look that his death would come about by just being hung or something yeah. like that. Something very banal. I, th I think there's a lovely line where he thinks about like, oh, these guys who we gladly go for a pint with, we're just going to go and hang him the next day for something mm. he hadn't done. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, is, that is very good, actually, that bit. And, and it does get yeah, a bit of a sense of dread. You do, actually, yeah. It does kind of feel like there's a little bit of anticipation to it. It's, I think it's one of the best bits of the book there now, especially mm. how like he resolves the whole thing as well, because he explores all the options. That's always a really good thing in a book where when you see someone trying something and failing mm -hmm. and then like you know it's much better than oh i tried this and it worked first time then it feels like yeah. there's no threat there whatsoever so i like that bit a lot yeah do you remember we took a uh we had a, a script writing module in in, in college mm. and uh, their lecturer gave us the 10 commandments of um of screenwriting although in my case it was 11 because um our friend michael added in one for me that was just stephen hill is foolish well, that's I, I don't think the words were as polite as that no but, uh, no it was, it was literally those words oh remember, okay uh, but it's something I've tried to uh, incorporate into every bit of writing I've done since then uh, since, it has come across since it's one of the 11 commandments mm. but one of them in any way was uh, thou shalt not make things too easy for thy hero yeah uh, and, and for a lot of this it is a little too easy for Rincewin even though he's just running away absolutely and that bit in the cell is one of the few bits it isn't and as you said like he has to kind of explore all these mm. options of like how is he going to get away before he eventually does and it did remind me of do you remember there was um oh there's another it's one of the watch books where vimes is in a cell with veterinary oh yeah, uh, yeah. which one is Garth's that Garth's. that's guards guards is it yeah oh yeah and that like that bit i much much prefer now it's just because the build-up to it is huge and this one is not as good like uh where uh veterinary is very calm and relaxed and he's explaining to him it's like never build a cell that you can't escape yourself from mm -hmm. and it takes vimes a really long time to really realize something very simple in that the lock is on the inside of the cell <laughs> as opposed to the outside and uh with this one it's similar and i actually quite like it the fact that like oh you can lift the door right off the hinges i like it it's just that i felt it could have been built up a bit more that's one part of the book i would have liked to have been a little bit longer because it's you know it's tense and i really like the guards who are you know guarding him as well mm -hmm. you know constantly calling them back and uh, you know asking questions like uh uh you know like uh, are you going to fall asleep with the key dangling yeah. from uh, or whatever it reminds you of that bit in um, blackadder goes forth when he's going to be shot for killing the pigeon mm. and he, he meets the firing squad and they're really incongruously joking <laughs> yeah. to be you know just as happy and like a good sport about the whole thing yeah. and he's just being really sarcastic <laughs> yeah like seeding with silent rage that they can be so cheery about yeah, yeah. his upcoming death or what was it he says something like uh oh no actually this is actually from uh blazing saddles as well was oh, was it uh Oh, no, sorry. No, do you know what it actually is from? It's from the movie The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> it's like, any last requests? Yeah, loosen the knot and let me go. Uh, do we... No, you don't let him go. <laughs> you know? It's always fun. It's always fun when executioners have a sense of humour. Sense humour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in a very literal sense of the yeah. Um, To be honest, I don't think there's an awful lot more I really have to say about it. 
Yeah, the one thing I, I should note is that um, I threw out the, the feelers on social media for kind of to get a sense of what Australians think of this because it mm. is such a parade of uh, of stereotypes. Albeit, I'll have some really deep dives into their their culture. And it struck me that the the Bart versus Australia, the Simpsons episode in Australia, is like mm. seems to be really beloved over there. And actually, one of the very few good Simpsons episodes that revolves around them going to another country, yeah, which are usually quite disappointing. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And, and that seemed beloved in Australia, and uh, generally the reaction I got back was quite positive. People seem to they seem to enjoy this. Really, you know, yeah. There wasn't a sense of like, oh, yeah, I'm saying the same old tired stuff about Australia that we've heard, mm. you know, from so many other uh, sources. Well, that's good anyway. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's not. I I, I always th- I thought there might have been an issue with um the fact that they're constantly drinking beer. If that was, that was the key thing that jumped out at me, like nearly every single chapter is like they're drinking beer mm-hmm. constantly. But um, I wouldn't know any better. I've never been to Australia, so I don't know like uh how they view that stereotype or uh do they kind of? I mean, Irish people, it's 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 a bit uh it's it's not really a one-sided thing a lot of people kind of think it's a a maligned kind of stereotype it kind of affects uh our culture that like oh we're just kind of a bunch of drunken drunken blackguards but a bunch of other people are like uh oh no drinking like it's i mean it is part of our culture pub culture is yeah, is very yeah. much part of our culture and uh the notion of the crack and also you know in some ways we embrace it but we try to embrace it in very much a positive way as much as we can and like negate the negative uh, associations that you know uh drink culture can you know yeah. have on well, a nation we, we really play fast and loose like when we have oh, absolutely you know, we had obama over we had the queen over like mm. give them fight against us and then yeah. and then we're kind of you know get quite disgusted when other countries just see us as like drinking all the time and yeah yeah it's like well you know we're, like that is uh i suppose uh inaccurate and occasionally annoying but it's also like oh we we, we create this and so maybe maybe in australia they kind of feel the same where it's like yeah maybe oh, yeah, this idea of constantly drinking beer is inaccurate and yet at the same time maybe they feel like they put it out there so much that it's yeah it's... Uh, like you know it's to be expected to be uh, fair although for me at least it did it did contribute nicely to the atmosphere of forex that they have so little water yeah that they're drinking all this beer and you know i just maybe it was because uh i had like um a wee bit a mere a mere slip of a hangover when i woke up this morning hmm. and was was reading some of this and i just thought like god oh, the idea of like drinking beer all the time just yeah i, I like beer and that sounds miserable yeah. and, and just for them to kind of be coping and the whole like no worries thing but living this sort of you know dried out half-life because they don't have water mm. uh yeah all, the, the beer drinking kind of yeah, along with like the, the corrugated iron everywhere in the dry rivers contributed to that atmosphere for me but obviously you can't divorce it in, entirely from it just being also like a like a nod at you know uh stereotypes that aussies drinking yeah titties. i do i do actually i do felt uh i sorry let me repeat that i do feel it is a very positive representation in my personal opinion now don't mind if people shoot me down and tell me i'm wrong but um in particular the scene where uh that he rinse goes into the bar with the crocodile bartender mm-hmm. and uh he's talking about all the things that he did the night before and uh it just like it just has a very warm kind of atmosphere for everybody except Rincewind obviously so oh everyone was queuing up to buy you drinks they said you were the best fun they've had in like yeah. a long time and uh even um when the faculty are giving uh, Rincewind a beer to kind of, you know, clear his head a little bit, it's it sounds a little bit like the way we give someone a cup of tea. If, no matter how bad the news is, make a cup of tea and that'll, you know, sort it out. So it kind of feels a bit similar in that way. You know, it's a very, it's a very kind of friendly, it's a very kind of friendly kind of, uh, you know, 
everyone passed the beer around, you know, like everybody, like it's, yeah. we're all friends here. So I actually heard there's a fella, a blogger called Vacuous Waste, for I mentioned him for this, because he does a Discworld reread series and often after I've read it, kind of read his, uh, his blog and another bloke, Graham Neal, who blogs under Pratchett job and get a, get a sense of like what other people thought of it. And he, what it, his criticism of it is that he says it's almost like too friendly and that there's no sort of mm. bite. Like if you look at the, the issues practice like it's one before this is like war and Christmas and he managed to find understandably lots of criticizing war uh, but like also in Christmas like finds a lot of dark things mm. and he sort of doesn't like the close you come with Australia is like the conversation Dibbler has where he seems to be a bit like racist towards yeah, the originals. But even that but, but also the fact that Rinswin kind of expects him to be which is sort of like this weird commentary on like outsiders perception of australia as like a racist country mm. um it's another example though where it's yeah it's it it really followed up it's on. not it's explored thoroughly yeah, at all left, left so. there. Um, like ultimately i suppose this book explores the the geography and like natural history of australia with much more depth on those the the culture and human history of yeah. australia um overall it's just it's just a little underdone like yeah, really yeah. so uh yeah it doesn't really come across in the way it should um Okay, that's... Yeah, that about does it for my notes. So we get, we'll get around to ranking this fella. I think we might as well. So we better check our list uh, to see whereabouts it is. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I feel like it's going to be quite low. Okay, well, um, I, like if, if our nearest kind of, I suppose, our point of reference is our highest ranking Rinswind book is Interesting Times at 15. Is it, is it better or worse than oh, Interesting Times? I think it's definitely worse than Interesting Times. And I definitely put it below The Light Fantastic. I think Soul Music is actually an interesting comparison because we've had this issue before where there's so many references and it's kind of an underdone thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have to say, I think I prefer Soul Music to this. Soul Music, uh, I think, was a lot more enjoyable. And even though the story, again, wasn't very deep, I felt it was more enjoyable. It had more momentum. I, I, I put this ahead of Soul Music myself because I just, like, you're probably... So I think Soul Music actually lacked for momentum a bit as well. I talked about when we done it, when the van kind of going around is fun, but there's no real sense of what they're building to. Yeah. And, like, this has a problem where the climax, there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, like, tongue twiddling and running around to get to a really great climax, but it is a really great climax, and Soul Music's mm. climax, as you said, feels a bit hollow. Um, and while there's a lot I don't like about this, like like the bits of the faculty are hilarious. There's a lot of really interesting ideas. Like I think some of the writing's beautiful, and the, the like way he sort of paints the the country. There's a lot of like the the kind of main body of the plot of this isn't as isn't great, but and like uh, Rincewind's a more frustrating protagonist on Susan or like the bandware and soul music. But I still feel like for me, what what I like about this lifts it a, a little above soul music. Mm, I'd, I'd have to disagree with you now like I just uh, now this is just a preference mm -hmm. thing like you know it's just, uh, I felt like soul music it, you, there was a lot more fun to be had there you know even though it meandered a bit it did seem to be going with a certain sense of purpose whereas you know as Rinswin himself says so much of it is about running from rather than running to you have no idea where the plot is going for quite a long time um, admittedly the faculty bits are very enjoyable I like that but um I also really like uh, uh, the what's the name of the troll and the dwarf in soul music. Uh, 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 Cliff and Glad. Yeah, yeah, like I love that, and like being from a mission from Glad, and like I think I feel like the puns work 
the puns kind of <laughs> raise that uh, above it because the puns and soul music are excellent and uh, whereas in the last confident continent they're just kind of references I don't feel like they're as clever you just like rock music better than you like Australia uh, well how, maybe how, how do you deal with the two combined with ACDC <laughs> <laughs> I do quite like ACDC it's um, yeah uh, the other I mean I'm, I'm trying to like kind of think back to soul music now and there is there's a lot I, I, I like there and um like the like buddhist kind of personality fading away and mm. uh it, it's funny it, it does have a lot of the same problems and it has a kind of a lack of plot momentum there's a feeling of like a bit of a retread like yeah. susan's arc feels a bit similar to mort's and death's uh feelings he, of yeah, bodies are, are similar to how he was in, in mort and yeah and reaper around to some extent yeah and and here again, it's like, oh, we're into it, just running away from stuff again. Mm. And I just feel in this one, it's it's particularly tired because we've done it so many times at this point. Mm-hmm. Whereas with soul music, I mostly feel like, I mean, you've got Mort and Reaper Man, and that's it really before it. So, um, you know, it's the arc is, Susan's arc is kind of similar to Mort's. And the reason she goes on her little journey is because uh, Death is doing a little bit of a repeat of what he did in Reaper Man, where he yeah. wants to find himself. Um, but... You know, just because it's it's so much fun and it's new, and you also have uh, you know the faculty in that who are uh, you know becoming oh, yeah, obsessed yeah, with all the. Of course, I've forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, this isn't a hill I'm prepared to die on, so uh, I'm I'm happy to to see it in this case. We'll say, uh, last continent new number uh, eighteen below soul music above equal rights. Uh, news number seventeen, isn't it? No, Soul Music is 17, so this would be below Soul Music. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, so this is new number 18. Um, Yeah, okay, I'd be happy with that. So, Last Continent is our new 18th best Terry Pratchett book, which doesn't sound that, like, great, but bear in mind, this is still a very good book. It's the best Rincewind book. Yeah, is it? Yeah, Yeah, is it actually the third best? Yeah, Life Fantastic and Interesting Times. God, you must be delighted something finally went below Life Fantastic. Oh, Life Fantastic, I mean, there's, like, we got five below Life Fantastic coming into Mm. this. Um... Uh, but yeah no um it's sure it's it's it is i just think it's a really undercooked book you know it's it's definitely yeah. it's grand it's like it's a good read like i i read it in like like nearly every terry pratchett book it's like you, it's a real page turner but uh just definitely not to the same extent of like the last couple of books we've read yeah yeah okay fair enough um the new number 18. We're next up, we got a uh, Carpeggio Galem. I'm really looking really forward to that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've only read that once, and um, I think I've read it twice, but it's interesting because I remember I feel thinking about it, I feel like it retreads a lot of stuff that happened in Lords and Ladies. So, uh, I've heard it said it feels mm. like and a bit of small gods too, with, um, yeah, but, but man, Mike Leo, but at the same time, I really want to see how Agnes kind of comes in because this is the first book we've had of Agnes, Agnes as an actual Pratt, as, yeah. as a witch. And uh, I think it's it's really interesting. It's always interesting when you see Granny being challenged. And yeah. uh, this one and Lord, Lords and Ladies are two very much the most challenging books for her. Yeah. Especially the one that I remember is where she disappears for a little while at the start of it. And yeah. it looks like the witches are on their own. That's a great I, moment. I'm looking forward to looking at all that. Yeah, I, I, and I liked Masquerade so much after what felt like a perfect climax in Lords and Ladies. That mm. it kind of filled me with renewed optimism. That, like, oh, okay... He can actually go back and find new stuff in the witches even after seemingly reaching this brilliant zenith of, of lords and ladies so yeah. yeah very much looking forward to that but in the meantime uh if you want to get in touch with us you can reach us on facebook or twitter if you look for radio moreport 
You can email us at radiomorphork at gmail.com. This podcast, which you've obviously found somewhere, but it's available all over the place on, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Podcast Addict, on a bunch of other streaming services. If you like this, please leave us a, a review. We'd be delighted with that. It would uh, kind of help us get, get noticed by more listeners, help spread the spread the good word of Radio Morphork. And if you want to get in touch with us uh, with really detailed feedback, you can email us at radiomorphork at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, we're buzzing around the uh, r slash Discworld subreddit uh, as Radio Morphork, so you can chat to us there too. So um, yeah, that being that, we will we'll uh, say it there for today. Say no worries and no good day. Worries, yeah. <laughs> good day and good night.